We are uh, currently doing uh, Lesson 7 of Matthew Part 3, Chapter 26, and we're going to look at uh, Passover. And uh, let's open in prayer. Our Father, our King, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you. We thank you for the provision that you have made for us in the work of Messiah. And Father, we thank you for the, for the pictures and for the memorials that you have given to us, that we may remember the work of the beginning, that we may remember the exodus from Egypt, and that we may remember uh, how our Master has redeemed us by his own blood. Father, we pray that you might open your word for us, that we might see the things today that you desire for us to see. And we pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. And uh, since we're in the middle of the counting of the Omer, let me continue. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us regarding the counting of the Omer. Today is 27 days, which are three weeks and six days of the Omer. The compassionate one, may he return for us the service of the temple to its place speedily in our days. Amen. Selah. And uh, that relates very well to what we're talking about today. I put on the board here Hamakom. Hamakom is the place, uh, as you saw in your in your homework, the place. And as we've uh, discussed, the place is it a place? Is it a person? Is it a time? It is where all intersects. In his, in the, it, this is actually a circumlocution for God's name as well. Uh, to say Hamakom is similar to saying Hashem or the name. Uh, it's a reference to him, a speaking of him in evasive synonyms so that you don't, you don't have to say his name uh, in vain. Uh, let's read from Exodus 6, verse 5 through 7. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. Now count them. There's one, two, three, four I wills here, but there's actually five if you keep reading. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. What's the significance of the four I wills? Does anybody know? Four cups of Passover. Why is that? I mean, why the why four cups, not five cups? Are there five cups at Passover? Traditionally, how many cups are at Passover? There's four counted, but are there five? <coughs> Elijah's cup is the fifth cup. That's right. Elijah's cup is the fifth cup. And in fact, if you count the I wills, there's five I wills as well. Uh, of course, the fifth I will is considered to be unfulfilled and yet future, uh, which relates to Elijah's cup. So the I wills are related to the four cups. Um, we're going to look at these a little bit today just in reference to Matthew's description in Matthew chapter 26 of what is called, uh, sometimes called the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, or more importantly, the Last Seder. Uh, last week we looked at these preparation parables from chapter 24 and 25, and we sh- saw them as warnings for his disciples, right? He's warning his disciples. What is he warning them about? What was the warning from chapter 24 and 25? Run to the hills? Be prepared. Uh, being prepared doesn't mean stockpiling your basement, does it? For the coming tribulation. What does being prepared mean? Have your heart prepared. Have your heart prepared. But actually more importantly, because well, he focused on something even more important than your heart. Your deeds. Actually, it's not more important than your heart, because your deeds reflect what your heart said. You're right. That's right. Uh, it's easy for people to say, my heart's right. 
easy for people to say that. And they can fool themselves. Right? That's why deeds are the proof. It does start in the heart. But deeds are the proof. And if you want to know, am I prepared? What are you acting like? Right? Um, and we, we, we talked about a little bit about the, you know, this focus of repentance keeps coming up in Matthew. It never goes away. We saw that repenting before your last day. Um, this is a... Uh, this is a, a, uh, a statement of, uh, um, one of the sages was, uh, always repent the day before you die. <laughs> and and uh, it's very well. Repentance before your last day. So every day is the day to repent. Um, and now what we're going to see is in, in studying uh, this chapter and actually going on through the verse, uh, chapter 28, this idea of the outstretched arm. How it is that God redeems his people once and for all. And uh, the relationship between uh, the Passover of our master in Jerusalem, uh, as is recorded in Matthew chapter 26, and the Passover of uh, Exodus uh, chapter 6 and following, is uh, it's not just a, ooh, isn't that neat kind of thing. And that's the danger that a lot of people approach this. They say, well, that's really neat. Now, isn't that wonderful? Now let's move on. We don't need to do Passover. We know what it means. Um, I would challenge people if that's their attitude. There's a whole lot of stuff they do that they should just move on then. Uh, we, we do things for a reason. We're rehearsing. And, and that's why the Passover is re- important. It's a rehearsal. It's a rehearsal for something that happened more than once. And it's a rehearsal for something that will happen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 2. So many people think they know all about this Passion Week, as it's called. And yet, so many people that follow him know very little about what's going on uh, in this last Seder. Verse 2. You know that, this is Yeshua speaking, you know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Keep reading. Then the chief elders, the scribes, uh, chief priests, the, elder, the scribes, and elders, the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who is also called Caiaphas. This is uh, Yosef ben Caipha is his name. And in, rendered in Greek, it's Caiaphas comes into English the same way. And plotted to take uh, Yeshua by trickery and to kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Yeshua was in Bethany, this is the top of Mount of Olives, uh, going on an approach to Jerusalem. Uh, if, you're, if you're coming down the mountain to Jerusalem, it's at the top of the Mount of Olives. It's not very far away. In fact, Luke records for us, it's a Sabbath day's journey. It's not very far. It's just down the hill. When we say mountain, mountains are re- relative and... Israel, the only mountains there are in the north. Mount Hermon is a mountain. Everything else is kind of like a hill. Uh, but Mount of Olives, uh, at the top of the hill, uh, Jerusalem's uh, down the hill and across the valley and in another hill, uh, three hills. And they say, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 7, a woman came to him having, an, actually let's skip over to verse, uh, let's skip over to verse uh, 17. Because we're reading about another account. Now the first day, chapter 26, verse 70. Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to him saying, Where do you want us to prepare for you and eat the Passover? Immediately, if you're a student of the traditions of Passover, you need to be scratching your head here going, Wait a minute. The first day of Unleavened Bread, they come and say, Where do you want us to prepare the Passover? What day do you... Do you eat the Passover Seder? 
what evening, what afternoon and evening do you eat the Passover Seder? The 14th of Nisan. The 14th of Nisan is that Passover yet? No. Passover starts when? The 15th is Passover, right? Which is the first day of unleavened bread. Right? The first day of unleavened bread, count for seven days. The first day is... Yes, ma'am. How do you rationalize that verse about eating the Passover with John and the Last Supper. John, John, no, no, we have three books that are all talking the same. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and yes. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all speak the same. That's yes. the Synoptic Gospels. John's different, and we're going to talk about John just briefly, but yes, that is a great point. The chronology doesn't add up. Okay. Uh, at least it appears, which is always what I'm going to say. It appears not to add up. It does, actually, it does. Uh, and there's adequate, adequate explanations for it. But regardless, here's three books that agree. But most importantly, we're not, we didn't study Luke, but Luke is the most important book for understanding chronology. Why? Because Luke says at the very beginning, seeking to place all things in order, Luke's purpose was to create a chronology. So if you want to know the chronology of Yeshua's ministry, you read Luke. That's the one. Everything else has to fit with Luke. Matthew, on this count, fits with Luke. So to answer your question, Gene, Matthew, to me, is, is preeminent along with Luke in describing the chronology. But this is a problem. The first day of Passover is not when you say, hey, how should we prepare the Passover? It's too late, right? And the answer is actually in, in, actually in, in the Mishnah and the Talmud records the fact that this is all considered Passover. So the first day of unleavened bread, even though it's not really the first day of unleavened bread, they said it's all about being Passover and here's the reason why. When do you have to get the chametz, the yeast, out of, the, out of your house? That's right. By, by no later than noon on the 14th, right? Normally, within the within the within the uh, within before noon, somewhere around ten o'clock, it's being gathered up traditionally, right? So that's why it's considered the first day of unleavened bread in this account, is because that's when you're getting rid of all the yeast. It's gone now. Okay. So after after noon, there is no chametz. There's no yeast in your house. So now it is unleavened bread, and that's why it records it this way. Um, I don't need to. I, I hope you don't think I'm just going through apologetics here, but those questions do come up if you're if you're observant, and I want to try and answer them if I can. Okay? Um, how far did I get? Not very far. Uh, verse 18. Uh, excuse me. Let me go back to 17. Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? To eat the Passover. Now, what is he saying when he says to eat the Passover? What's he mean? They mean. The Seder, what else? What's the most important part of the Seder? The lamb. the lamb and the bitter herbs, right? That's it, the lamb and the bitter herbs. You shall eat it with bitter herbs. And actually, and matzah, right? So there you go. Three things, three elements. Lamb, bitter herbs, and matzah. So they're going to eat the Passover. It's speaking of the lamb, the bitter herbs, and the matzah. And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So... Where will he keep the Passover? In Jerusalem, at this man's house with his disciples. Not on a cross. He's going to keep the Passover at the house with his disciples. So the disciples, by the way, if you read John, a cursory reading of John will contradict that. We'll see why. So the disciples did as Yeshua directed them and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, what's evening? Why is that important to you? If you, if you know the traditions about Passover, what is important about evening here? The day starts at the 
at sunset, but actually that's not what's being referred to here. That's right. It's speaking of it's speaking of between the evenings, which is from noon until sunset. So when evening had come, when do you start the Passover Seder? Well, tradition actually is a little bit, a little bit maybe wrong here. Although the Mishnah records very very clearly that the that the Seder should be started before the sun sets, just before the sun sets, between the evenings. Uh, but you're right that afternoon. The Mincha offering is the perfect description of between the evenings, which takes place at 3 p.m. Okay, on a normal 12-hour, 12-hour uh, day of uh, uh, light of day. Um, so for, he, when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now, as they were eating, he said, "Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me." And they were exceedingly sorrowful. See how far I'm supposed to go here. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. What is he dipping his hand in? Probably, not necessarily, but maybe. If you've had a Seder, what is he dipping his hand in? A dish? Maybe bitter herbs. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe, oilecha, woe to that man to whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Yeshua took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drew it with you, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's go to, um, uh, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Now, um, we, we're not given any sort of insight into this at all, but it doesn't appear that his disciples are amazed or astounded by any of this, does it? Funny, a brand new ritual introduced to them, and they're not surprised by it? The answer is it's not a brand new ritual. It's not a last supper. It's not the Lord's Supper. It's the last Seder. Uh, go to Deuteronomy 16, verse 1. Observe the month of Aviv which means the springtime or the first. And keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Aviv, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore, you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd. Uh, Gene, always remember that. Sacrifice the, sacrifice, sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and from the herd. What's the Passover, what's the Passover sacrifice? From the flock and from the herd. In place where... Herds, by the way, are not sheep. Uh, in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. The place. Hamakom. You're supposed to do this in the place. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat... You shall eat unleavened bread with it. With it? What with it? What's it? The Passover. What? What's the Passover again? The lamb? So you eat the lamb for seven days? No. What do you eat for seven days? It says you shall eat the bread of a, you shall eat the unleavened bread with it. 
from the flock and from the herd. The Passover is not just the lamb, y'all. What is the herd? Cattle. Cows. Cows. And if you read, if you go back in Leviticus, what are you going to read? Passover week has many sacrifices, doesn't it? Many offerings are made, not just the lamb. And here it says, You shall eat the bread of unleavened bread with it, that is, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt with haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out in the land of Egypt and all the days of your life. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice the first day. Which one is that? That's the lamb. The first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. The lamb is not allowed to be eaten after, in fact, just to make sure, the Mishnah says it has to be eaten before midnight. But it actually says before morning. Okay? Before morning. So they're not allowed to keep the lamb for seven days and eat from it, right? They're having, so the seven days you're eating with unleavened bread is speaking of something in addition to the lamb. And it's all called the Passover. You may not sacrifice the Passover within, the, within any, of, with any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you. Of course, the moment I tell anybody that I find, to be, that find the word of God to be fully active and authoritative in my life, they immediately say, so when are you going to start doing sacrifices? And of course, my response to them is, when they build the temple. <laughs> and it won't be here, and it won't be Salt Lake City. It'll be in Jerusalem. <laughs> And so right now, I'm being faithful to God by not offering sacrifices because there's no place for it. But at the place where the Lord, your God, chooses to make His name abide, Hamakom, the place, there you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time when you came out of Egypt. Oof, good stuff. Uh, these, this is... This is uh, um, Later on, we're going to read that there's uh, there's three pilgrimage feasts. The uh, where you have to walk. We say pilgrimage is actually it's not from pilgrims with the black hats, but it's because you walk there, right? Hag Argalim, the Hag, the Hag, and in fact in Arabic, Hag, the Hajj. When people go to the Hajj in Mecca, it's a because you go there. So in Hebrew, much the same way. The Hag, you go there. It's a walking thing. You walk there three times a year. Every male is supposed to, as best they can, it's not required, but as best they can, make a trip to Jerusalem. The place. The place. And there's only one place. The place. And it never changes. It's always there. And it's where he has set his name. Where he has placed his name. And if we went back to 1 Kings, we'd, we'd see that it is in fact promised to David and then to Solomon that that would be where Solomon built the first temple. And God says, my name will ever be there. When you pray... Facing this place, I will hear you. It says, if my people, you know this, if my people who are called by my name, I wish everybody took the whole passage, because the whole passage says, it's Jerusalem. It's the Temple Mount. That's it. It's the place. It's still the place. It'll always be the place. It'll never change, because he says, I've placed my name there forever. Forever. How long is forever? I don't know. You want eternal life? Or you want kind of... Yeah, for a while. When God starts, excuse me, this may sound sacrilegious, but when God starts changing his mind, you all are in trouble. God doesn't change his mind. He says that he means it. Every Passover, every unleavened bread, 
every Shavuot, which is also called Pentecost because it's the count of 50, and every Sukkot, which is also called Tabernacles because it, we lived in tabernacles and in, in, in temporary dwelling places, all Israelite males, if they can, are supposed to go to, Jer- to Jerusalem, to the temple. Um, and it's to go to see someone. Right? It's to go to see someone. It's not to go to get forgiveness of sins. No one's ever commanded to go up there during Yom Kippur. They're not told, go up there on Yom Kippur. People went on Yom Kippur. But all, all Israel didn't go to Jerusalem on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was not about all Israel's getting forgiveness because they showed up. It was about keeping the place sanctified and holy. If you read about Yom Kippur, the offerings are to sanctify the priests, the temple, and the people. And so it's to set them aside and to, and to, and to, and to ensure that God's dwelling was holy. It's remained holy. That it wasn't profaned. And every year that repeated thing to make sure that God's place was holy is very important. And it's what makes Passover work. Work. I mean, it seems kind of common to say it that way. It's to make it work. What happened on Passover? What was the first Passover? What happened? Taken out of bondage. Right? The four I wills. Taken out of bondage. They were freed. They were taken out of, out of, uh, out of slavery and were taken as God's own people. That he could have his people named for himself. That they would be his people, no one else's people. He destroyed the, the, the false gods of Egypt and instead presented himself to his people as the only God. He took, out, he took them out of their bondage and, 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 the, uh, and the slavery that they were in and instead subjected the people to his will. It wasn't that, by the all, y'all are free now, have a good life. It was, no, now you may serve me. He set them apart as a people. This is a very, very odd thing when people equate freedom with anarchy. Um, oftentimes we hear in circles the discussion of, of our, um, our freedom, our liberty, our biblical liberty as a license to sin. Or in the terms of priesthood of the believer, I no longer have to go through anyone. I can decide for myself what God says. And actually, that's not true, is it? We can't decide for ourselves. And we do have a priest. And he is actually very demanding if you read the red letters of your Bible. Isn't he? He says, if you won't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. If he did it, if he said it, why can we, do we think that we can do something different? Or that we can be different? If we think that he has freed us, so that we can do something opposite from what he has done, we have misunderstood what freedom is. If you look at and you follow this Exodus story, he repeats it again and again and again. He says, let my people go so that they may go and go out and serve me. Serve me. And in fact, avodah, service, is, see, that's right, it's worship. What is it? It starts in the tabernacle. Well, it starts in the heart. But the tabernacle is this first perfect picture of us. What is it? I, an unholy person, unable to approach God, having been removed from the garden of delight, am given access back into his presence as long as I consider the fact that he is a holy God and I'm not. 
And what protocols must I go through to go to that place where he is? That's what we're doing. That's what the tabernacle, that's what the temple pointed to. That's what Matthew chapter 26 is pointing to. We want access. We want to go back to where we were removed because of our sin. We want to be freed from our sin so that we can be in the presence of a holy God. Don't we? That's what we want. And that's what Passover did for the children of Israel. It is what Passover does for us. And it is mystically what Yeshua has done for us, really done for us, ultimately, so that we can go into his presence. Leviticus 23 is not, you're not unfamiliar with Leviticus 23, these feasts of the Lord. Remember that throughout Leviticus 23, and I'm preaching to the choir, thank you, uh, that this is a statute forever. That idea that Passover is a statute forever should never escape our notice. It's not something we go, isn't that neat? Now I know what, now I know what the Yeshua's work on the cross is all about. Isn't that neat? It is, in fact, and it is. It is wonderful. I mean, that's a great teaching. But you know, if it's only a teaching, then what good is it to you? Your children, by the way, Passover is primarily for children. When you kick children out, you're kind of missing it. <laughs> well, your children need to see the picture every year, repeated again and again and again. So it's so ingrained in them. So the traditions even are so much a part of it that they begin to see. They begin to see in real tangible things. Making those connections is very, very important. We are people that need rote memory. And that's what it is. Very basic stuff. You know, don't be insulted by it. God keeps reminding you because it's important. So, the question is, should we keep it? Yes, we should. Is it a new thing? No, it's not. Well, all that just to say it's not a new thing. Go to Ex- uh, We read Exodus 6 already. We won't need to go there again. Um, but the four I wills, it starts off with, I, w- I am the Lord. By the way, this is very important. Anybody that knows the Ten Commandments? What's the first commandment? The trick question. The first commandment is, I am the Lord your God. That's the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. In other words, he has a right. He has a right. We have a duty. We have an obligation to consider the king's commandments. Not just to consider, but to accomplish. So he has this right. I am the Lord your God. Then the four I wills. I will bring you out from your burdens. I will rescue you from bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will be your God. You shall be my people. And then, what is the result? This is, reminds me of, uh, of uh, uh, chapter 31 of, of Jeremiah, the New Covenant uh, passage, as well as Ezekiel chapter 37. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Um, and as we saw, Exodus 12 des- describes very, very carefully again the Passover, the ultimate redemption, both past and present. Um, and I bring this up a lot, and I know that you guys have heard this before too, but Passover is the first. It says in the month of Aviv, it says that it's the first month, in the first month. In fact, he makes the point that it hasn't been the first month before, but from now on, Aviv will be the first month for you, because this is the day that I brought you out of Egypt. The first month, in the first month. So this idea that Passover begins the process is very important. Uh, the redemption process begins with Passover, but it doesn't end with Passover. That's why the counting of the Omer. It's to connect the Passover to Shavuot, Pentecost. The count of 50 days, or 49 days plus one the day after. So this counting of the Omer seems kind of silly. I mean, 
in human terms, it seems very silly. In fact, it is very silly. Uh, kind of fun for little kids. You know, your six-year-old or your eight-year-old may really enjoy it. Okay, what day is today? They may think that's fun. We're counting up. But actually, it's for everybody. So why go through it? And the answer is because we need it. We need to count. Because he told us to first, but also because it helps us make this connection. See, the Passover's not finished. You thought Passover ended three weeks ago. Wasn't that fun? We had a great week of Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was great. It was wonderful. But it's not over, is it? And when we get to Shavuot, which on our calendars this year is in, in June, when we get to Shavuot, is it over? Well, the counting's over, but is it over? No, we got more to go. What's next? What's next after that? Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, right? The blowing, the day of the day of blowing, the day of trumpets. What's after that? Yom Kippur. What's after that? Sukkot. Yes, right. Sukkot. And then what do we do? Are we done? No. Well, it depends if we want to count Hanukkah and Purim. No. What? Are we done? No. Then we have Passover again. <laughs> Does redemption ever stop? No. Let's not forget you brought the first one. Which one? Oh, thank you very much. She is exactly right. And you can't understand any of it if you don't understand Shabbat. One of the problems with having Passover seders for all your friends that don't know anything about Passover, and as wonderful as it is, one of the problems is that if they haven't been introduced to the Shabbat, they still think it's just kind of neat. Well, that's neat. I can see kind of what happened in Matthew chapter 27. But they need to understand Shabbat first, don't they? Shabbat's more than we even account for. It's a mystery what Shabbat is. We know it's something more. We know that it's something future. We are rehearsing something, aren't we? Let's go. Let's go to chapter twenty-six of Matthew, verse twenty-eight. We're rehearsing. Practice. Practice for something. It's like the Passover. Imagine everybody, all the disciples, all their years that they were little kids growing up. Now they're adults. And Yeshua said, I want to eat this Passover with you. They're going, yeah, we know how to do that. They've been practicing. It was easy. So that later on, at the end of Luke, when he opened their eyes and showed them from the, from the law and from the prophets, all the things that pointed to him, they were going, wow, how did we miss that? Yeah, they were pra- it was practice. It was part of their life. It's part of their life. And that's what we're doing. Shabbat is practice for eternity. Uh, Matthew chapter 26 again. Still a little bit with this here. Um, verse 28 through 29. Actually, let's go up to verse 27. Then he took the cup. Uh, traditionally, uh, most people or most people would consider this to be which cup? Does anybody know? The third cup, this cup of redemption. I think that's probably a good guess that it's the third cup. And if you compare all of the gospel accounts of this, you you when you count the cups, it does appear to be the third cup. Um, so the or or what's called traditionally the cup of redemption. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, "Drink." Drink from it, all of it. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Now you've been making note of all the times that it says kingdom, and this is the last reference to kingdom here in this book. What, 
what's the significance of using um, uh, this word kingdom and also in reference to the new covenant there's only two references in the in the apostolic scriptures to the word the phrase new covenant let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31 Chapter, chapter 31 of Jeremiah very uh, very well known passage behold the days are coming says the Lord when I will make a new covenant chapter 31 verse 31 excuse me behold days are coming says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah who's the new covenant with Israel and Judah thank you not according to the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt which covenant was that hmm? oh I got lots of different answers I like that that's very good I like getting lots of answers to that. that that proves that y'all are paying attention a little bit what does it say when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt is that when he took him by the hand to leave them out of the house of Egypt when did he take them by the hand to leave them out of the house of Egypt well that's true but what is what we just what did you just read uh, for I that's right for I wills when did he say the I wills was it Mount Sinai no when he took out no I'm, I'm trying to muddy the waters on purpose, y'all. It's not, chrono- it's not a chronology. It's not a, okay, you've got to do it this first, then this, this. That's not what this is being talked about here. Uh, and that's what people have tried to do. Uh, they've tried to equate this with Sinai for a theological reason. It's a bad theological reason. God's covenants are not voided by God's covenants. God's, co- God's word's God's word. You know, if you could just change your word. Oh, here's my word. My word is I will change my word again. You know, what value is it if God changes his mind? The point is that's being done for theological reasons. But that's not, that's beside the point. Let's move on. My covenant, who's the covenant with first? It is with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. My covenant which they broke, though I was husband to them. Who's they? Israel and Judah. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people wow what's that sound like the fourth I will it is the fourth I will isn't it so what's what's being said here he's going to fulfill fully fulfill the promise made in Exodus chapter 6 that's what he's going to do in other words this is speaking of the final redemption which Passover was always speaking about it applies now and it applies yet in the future they shall be my people verse 34 no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them says the Lord but I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more go back to chapter 26 of Exodus for this verse 28 for this is my blood of the new covenant 
which is shed for the many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I'm sorry, what did I say? <laughs> I apologize. Matthew 26. Wow, that's a good Exodus verse, isn't it? <laughs> and notice, notice here in my... Uh, uh, in my notes this is not an institution of a new ritual it's an explanation of an ancient one from Exodus chapter 12 and at Leviticus chapter 23 yes ma'am that's right yada it is yada Mm-hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. They shall all know me. Um, that's what, you know, honestly, I have to tell you, just personally, this is my own opinion. I take it for what it is. My own opinion is the new covenant is real to me, personally. So my opinion also is that the new covenant is not real. It is not fully com- complete. And that is because I have not yet seen that they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them. So, so... That's why it's very important, I think, to understand that this is not a new this is not a new ritual. This is an explanation of the ritual we've been doing. The Passover. This is an explanation. It's the it's the four I wills. He's doing what he said he would do. Fully fully redeeming us. Not just individually, but corporately. All together. All Israel. All Israel has a part in the world to come. All Israel has a part in the world to come. Yes. And you said the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Can you explain? I think I made that point for the specific reason because people want to exclude Israel and Judah for unbelievable reasons. Ironically, they claim to be Israel. But when it says Israel and Judah, it's making the very distinct statement that it's speaking of genes. You can't be, you may be considered to be Israeli, is Israel kind of. But when it says Israel and Judah, it's speaking of people who are descended from ten and two tribes. But ironically, Judah is not mentioned in the second portion of that scripture. Although Judah is not mentioned oftentimes. Israel accomplishes it all, doesn't it? Right. But the fact that he makes the point, Israel and Judah. And when you overlay this with Exodus, or excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 37, which is the companion piece, it becomes very clear that you can't apply this in some mystic sense but at the same time, now I do believe there's a mystic sense, but at the same time excluding the very descendants of Israel and Judah. And that's what's being done by some people. They say new covenant, that's new, old covenant. Old, bad, bad. Jewish way, new way. Right? And by the way, new way excludes all those people that Israel and Judah. Unless they sign on to the new way and renounce the fact that they were members of Israel and Judah. Replacement theology. Right. This is not a new ritual, y'all. This is my own feeling is that it's not a new ritual. This is an explanation of what's always been going on. How do I know that? Is that when I read the scriptures, it seems very clear to me that at the same time, the disciples aren't scratching their heads going, what's this all about? They never say, what's this all about? They do a lot, but not with regard to this. You see it, oftentimes they come to them and go, what did you mean when you said this? When did they do that here? They never say, what did you mean when you said that? They never say, Master, this is a troubling statement. They did in John chapter 6 where he says, unless you eat of my blood and drink of my flesh, you have no part of me. They say, Master, this is a troubling statement. They, do, they don't do that here. They don't say, this is a troubling statement. This is not troubling at all. To them, 
It's a little weird, <laughs> maybe, but it doesn't trouble them because it's part of what they're already doing. Should they object that um, in some of the newer translations in the scriptures, I'm not sure about this, but for the Jewish Bible, uh, the old and new covenant words, old and new, were actually not Added. very good translation. translation. Renewed is better. In other words, making the original covenant we just talked about um, enhancing it with the Messiah now. Like I, I, I understand where you're coming from, and, and I, I would agree with the intent of that. I, I'm not quite. A, a perfect example is uh, what's being offered is the, the word Chodesh, uh, new. Is, is uh, we exceed every year, every month, with the renewed moon, right? It's not a new moon, it's the same moon, it just turns dark, right? Um, and that's where that comes from. Uh, I don't know that that's what it's referring to here, and I don't necessarily buy into the renewed covenant aspect of it, with this exception, and that is, when I go to Galatians, it says, no covenant that God makes replaces a previous covenant. And if you look at it that way, you can see that all, God, all God's covenants are for redemption, and they're all, they're all uh, expanding of redemption, never contracting. An example would be, God, God has planned all along, his promise was made to Eve. Well, it was made to the serpent. Eve heard it. The promise was made to Eve from her seed. The promise was, then ex- was, ex- was expanded to Noah. The promise was then expanded, or excuse me, further narrowed to Abraham. Right, and then it's further narrowed to Isaac, and then it's further narrowed to, and so we, and we get when we finally get to Matthew chapter one, we go, oh yes, this is the seed. I mean, it's like they can't apply to no one else. It's, but in the same time that's happening, this narrowing of who the seed is, what's happening is that there's an expansion of what what God will do. His covenant, His promises are expansive. There's there's more detail. So God's covenants add detail. They don't, you know, the idea that one replaces the other is. If you read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, 9, and 10, and it looks like God's replacing new with old, the, new, the word new covenant's not found there, except in a couple places, so, or one place, actually. So it's not talking about covenants. But the point is that it doesn't replace. God doesn't replace one thing with another. That's the idea that people go, they get to the end of their Bibles, and they find, excuse me, in the middle of their Bibles, two-thirds of the way through their Bibles, they find Malachi, chapter 4, verse 6, and they go, that's old. And then from to the right of that, everything else is new. New replaces old. Well, you can see where people think that. You can, it's, it's logical. Well, wouldn't you want to run to the end of the book and read it? Man, Revelation, good stuff, man. Problem is, Revelation, good stuff, keeps talking about all the old stuff. <laughs> move on, move on. You sure here vows not to drink any more of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. I think this is a this is a under under considered verse. This is not considered by people to be important. I think it is extremely important. And the idea that he is he is in effect taking a Nazarite vow is extremely important. He's not going to drink from the fruit of the vine until he comes to his Father's kingdom. This is the relationship that I see between New Covenant promise from Jeremiah chapter 31, the New Covenant, the new covenant cup, as is described, the cup of redemption and Passover, and the, my Father's kingdom. In other words, we will not see all of this until he comes in his Father's kingdom. But we are still to continue to rehearse it as they did. Um, 
And, and I gave you a couple references. Numbers chapter 6, if you want to explore that, it's actually very, very interesting uh, to explore the idea that this was a, that this was a Nazarite vow. Um, by the way, this is traditionally when you would start a Nazarite vow. In the days of the temple, people would make a vow at Passover time, and then they would fulfill their vow, as the Nazarite vow declares, at Shavuot. With, with, which came with the offerings and uh, the cutting of hair and the drinking of wine was all part of that fulfillment of the vow. So they would come at Shavuot to fulfill their vow. In fact, we read in, in, in Acts chapter 21 and 22, there's a very good likelihood that Paul is actually fulfilling the Nazarite vow. So what's the conclusion of the Nazarite vow? This is, this is, this is cool. Think about it. What's the conclusion of the Nazarite vow? What am I looking for? Shavuot. Right? This is not lifetime Nazarites. This is Nazarites as defined by a period of time. Shavuot, which is what we're counting towards, which is all part of Passover. It's all part of redemption. So what are we going to see on Shavuot? The conclusion of the vow. Well, Yeshua says here, and I'm not trying to be weird here, but this is important, I think, uh, with a view towards the kingdom. Shavuot is a picture of the kingdom. It's a view towards the kingdom. Uh, real quickly, I want to talk about this before we finish up. Related to John chapter uh, John and the Passover meal. Okay? John makes it very clear that they have a supper. Right? John makes it very clear that they eat reclining. Do you recline for supper? They didn't then either. That's... that's uh, Greeks and Romans thought they ought to, had to recline when they eat or whatever, you know. Said, you know, you know, put a grape in my mouth uh, while I'm late. But what do you what do you lean for? What do you what do you what do you eat reclining for? Passover, right? You recline to the left. Why? Because we're no longer slaves, right? It's tradition. You recline. So John actually makes it clear that it is a Passover seder without saying it's a Passover seder. The problem is the next day. The next day they won't go into they won't go into Pilate's place. It says the chief priests because they would wanted to eat the Passover. They wanted to eat the Passover. So wait a minute. Matthew, Mark, and Luke say you ate the Passover already, right? We just read it. They ate the Passover meal. So now how are they going to eat the Passover meal the second day? They're not. They're supposed to eat it before midnight according to the Mishnah, or before dawn, according to Scripture. It's a week-long feast. It is a week-long feast, and that's an, an answer, an, uh, or Gene, an answer, and I'm not saying this is it, but an answer is, it's a week-long feast, and the Passover doesn't just count for the lamb. It also counts for all of the offerings, not the offerings for Passover themselves, but the, uh, the, for instance, the peace offerings, the others that are not Olah, the... Uh, any, any offering that's not a law, you could bring and you would eat of it as well for the entire week. So those offerings are probably, and there is, a, there is reference to this, um, actually not just from Deuteronomy, but there is, there is some reference to this, that the offerings were all called the Passover. So there's an explanation for John. If you do that, you can see that John, it doesn't mesh completely yet, but it meshes much better, it's at least on the days of the week, or the days of, of the Passover, it meshes very well. So you can actually bring a, a good chronology to both the three synoptic Gospels and John. And if you want to talk about it later, I'd be glad to. Any, any final comments there before we close? Uh, Passover has always been about redemption. It is a physical redemption. It points to a spiritual redemption for us personally. And I don't mean to minimize that in my discussions about the kingdom, y'all. Passover speaks to our personal redemption. 
a recognition that Yeshua's work really does mean something for us today but it speaks also about a future redemption the ultimate redemption and that ultimate Passover has not yet come when we can say all of them know him from the least to the greatest and when we can also say that all Israel and that includes those who have been attached to Israel by the very work that Messiah has done whether they be Israel or Judah they become the commonwealth of Israel then we can say then we can say he's done what he said he will do until then we can say he will do what he said he will do Um, if we follow Messiah Yeshua we need to understand that we have been redeemed by his outstretched arm and that he has made us free thus says the Lord God of Israel let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness let's close in prayer yes ma'am only because I skipped lots and lots of it (laughs) I skipped 1 Corinthians chapter 5 let's close in prayer Father thank you for this day thank you for all that you give us thank you for your work on our behalf Lord we thank you for the pictures that you've given to us we ask that you might continue to renew them to our minds that they not simply be things that we consider to be uh, of intellectual uh, delight but Father that they become things that we delight to do Lord may our thoughts be carried out in the things that we do may the things that we do please you I pray this in Yeshua's name Amen Amen